there. Holy hands in the sanctuary. Hallelujah. Let's, let's collect all the glory in this house and let's just send it to our great high priest. Hallelujah. The Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you glad to be in the house of God on a Sunday night? Amen. Amen. I'd rather be here than the best hospital in the world. Amen. And we are excited about what the Lord is doing on this side of the vineyard. And after, after these services that we have, I can only say, wow. In fact, I'm going to say that backwards. Wow. That's a holy wow. God has done great things whereof we are glad. And I, I so appreciate your pastor. How many here at First Pentecostal Church love your pastor? If you love the master, you'll love your pastor. Praise God. You know, you know the man of God is the most important person in your life. He's there when you're born. And he dedicates you. He's there when you get married. He officiates over you. And when you die, he'll have the last word over you. So he's there when you're hatched, when you're matched, and when you're dispatched. So the man of God is the most important person in your life. And Bakersfield, I want to tell you, you have one of the most dynamic apostolic preachers that is ministering the gospel today. And I'm not just saying that. That is truth. That is truth. <laughs> we, um, we met the Bradfords really officially years ago when we were in the Philippines. And, uh, man, when he preached... I, I told Sister McDonald, where has this preacher been my entire life? Look, you don't ever have to go to another conference in your life. You hear the best preaching every week and every Sunday right from this piece of real estate. Amen. And, and thank you, Pastor. Thank you for giving me the honor not just once of preaching 238, but twice and then to be here uh, I know how important Sundays are, and you've just come out of revival, and I know you want to hear your pastor. Uh, I, I wanted to be here just to sneak in. Uh, of course, as big as I am, how do you sneak in anywhere, right? And he asked if I would preach, and I'm so honored to. I really, I really wish it was him, but uh, I, I'm going to honor that request, and I, I am excited about being here. Can I, I'll tell you this. We'll get into the word of the Lord. That first year that I preached 238, I, I cannot remember feeling such a connectivity in the spirit like, like that meeting. When I went home, I called Brother uh, Peyton and, and told him, it's like whatever was going on in that meeting, it stayed with me for about a week and a half. It, it would not lift. It was gnawing on me and working on me. And uh, the anointing, I could feel it in the, the, the presence of God. And we understand life looking back, not forward. And I think of those services and the messages that were preached. And uh, little did I know what God was preparing me for in that year to come. But I just want to thank this church for being who you are. To be able to have 
an environment like that where people can come in and be refreshed and touched and recharged in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I thank God for this local assembly. And, and it's an honor to spend the first Sunday of the first service of the new year with you. Amen. God bless you. And it's good to be with brother and sister Bradley. Hallelujah. Sister McDonald and I are especially thankful for this church because this church provided a pastor for my wife's home church that her grandpa started in 1959. And brother and sister Bradley are doing a wonderful job there. Thank you. Thank you for being apostolic and raising up preachers and sending them out into the field. And uh, we, we are just so appreciative of that. And Peyton in London, we love you. And there, there's just so much. Why don't we get into the word of the Lord today? Hallelujah. Man, I, I, just, I don't feel any spirits here. Do you need someone to pass out songbooks around here? Or I could do that if you need someone to vacuum the carpet. It just feels so good. You don't have to fight. There's no devils in Bakersfield. No evil spirits in Bakersfield. Man, this is so great. Just feels so good. And I'm going to go back home and I'm going to try to make everything that we've heard and felt work uh, there. And, and I know that devil's going to meet me there. And he's probably had grandchildren since I've been gone. He says, hey, I know you've been to one of those meetings. And I say, yeah, and I'm going to knock your head off too in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Why don't we clap our hands to the Lord? This is the first service. Hallelujah. Let's give him the best hand clap we've given them all service. First service of the new year. I pray it's a greater year than last year of revival and miracles and prayer and faith. Hallelujah. Amen. While you turn to the book of Genesis, if you're a first-time guest here and you're shopping for a church, you have not come to the bargain basement. You need to come back when you can hear this good pastor preach, okay? Today, you're just kind of stuck with me. But come back when you can hear pastor preach, okay? One more thing before we read. I am so glad to see Sister Black. God bless her. My wife and I preached for her and her husband 19 years ago here in Bakersfield. 19 years Hallelujah. I'm getting old. I told my wife the other day, I said, you're getting old. And she, know, she said, you know what that means? I said, what? She said, that means I'm married to an old man. I said, well, maybe you're not that old. <laughs> Amen. The book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. Chapter 35. Genesis 35. Verse 16. <clears throat> and they journeyed from Bethel. There was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died. One of the saddest stories in the book of Genesis that she called his name Benoni but his father called him Benjamin and Rachel died and was buried 
in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave. This was the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. Okay? Just one more verse of scripture. Genesis 48. Just one verse. Verse 7. And as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way when yet there was but a little way to come unto Ephrath, and I buried her there in the way of Ephrath. The same is Bethlehem. Jacob's a dying man talking about a dead woman, his wife. And he said, we had a little way to go. We had just a little way to go, and she died, and I buried her in the way of Ephrath, the same as Bethlehem, and that to me, as far as I can tell, that's one of the authentic places in Israel where Rachel is buried yet today. The Lord being my helper, okay, and I believe you're going to help me as well. I want to preach from this thought, dying in the way to fruitfulness, okay? Set your Bibles down and let's worship the Lord one more time. There is a great spirit of God in this place. I do feel faith. Hallelujah. I do. I feel faith in this house. There's no telling what God will do. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, God, let your Holy Ghost speak to us tonight. Amen. God bless you. May be seated. <coughs> I love the book of Genesis. Uh, I would imagine in, for Old Testament books, it's probably that in the book of Exodus would be my favorite books of the Old Testament. Someone asked me not too long ago, what's your favorite book in the Bible? Well, it's probably the last one I just read. I love it all. But uh, I really have grown to appreciate um, what is written uh, in God's word through Moses in the book of Genesis. Genesis is the book of beginnings. And Genesis is the book of blessings. And since it's the book of beginnings, or in that it's the book of beginnings, and it's the book of blessings, it is also the book of the beginning of blessings. And the first blessing that God ever gave to the human family is in Genesis. In 1 and 28, God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. That is the biblical definition of blessing. The biblical definition of blessing is be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it. This is so important that before God named Adam, he blessed Adam. And that is the blessing that he pronounced over Adam. And of course, it applies to Eve as well. The word bless means to speak favorably of. How many want God to speak favorably to them? Oh, I wish I had time to preach that. Because when God opens up his mouth, universes come into existence. And when God opens up his mouth, he calls those things which be not as though they already were. I want God to speak blessing. And I want God to speak favor unto me. Praise God. 
Amen. Before he named Adam, he blessed them in five and two. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. So the theological underpinning for blessing, whether it's in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, amen, it finds its substantiation in its beginning, its inception in Genesis 1 in 28. In fact, if you pull on Genesis 1 and 28, it'll pucker throughout the entire Bible. When you read about any blessing in the New Testament, hallelujah, it finds its roots all the way back here in that verse that I just read. When I was in elementary school, my, my mother uh, and father bought me uh, some type of a sweater, a knitted sweater. I don't know. It was just one of those you know, and, and I'm kind of goofy anyway. I don't like strings hanging off of me, and I don't like tags and all that stuff. So I just, I just kind of pull them off, and that's not good for the garment, you know. And, and so they bought me this sweater, and, and I had a little piece of string hanging down here. And I began to pull on that because it was just aggravating me. And the more I pulled on it, the more it aggravated me. Because when I would pull down here, it'd start to pucker up here. And, and then I'd try to fix it over here. And when I pulled here, it'd started pulling down here. I guess I went to school looking something like this because it was one interwoven piece. Every thread was connected to the other. And when you start reading about the blessings of God, forget what the televangelists tell you. They don't know what you and I know. I'm not talking about chicanery and fakery. Amen. I'm talking about biblical blessing. Well, praise God. In fact, when you start preaching that God wants to bless his people, there's going to be a resistance that comes to the man of God and a resistance to the pulpit. Hallelujah. But it is the will of God for every one of us to be blessed by God. And so whether you read it in the New Testament or the Old Testament, amen, it finds its underpinnings, blessings that is, in Genesis 1.28. Amen. And as, as the human family begins to grow and the family of God begins to grow, amen, God gives the same commandment to each man. Amen. The blessings in the command, amen, they're reiterated to Noah. Be fruitful. Multiply. Replenish the earth. Subdue it. When God calls Abraham, same thing. Be fruitful. Multiply. Uh, replenish the earth. Subdue it. To Isaac and to Jacob. And onward it goes. And I believe that promise and that destiny belongs to you and I in the apostolic church. <laughs> Hallelujah. That line of people particularly through Father Abraham, they become the outsourcing of blessing. That's what God was looking for. When you read Genesis 1 through 11, God deals with humanity in generality. And God deals with humanity with, one, uh, with just one sweep of the brush. Hallelujah. But God is looking for a man to bless. And at the end of chapter 11, it happens. And in chapter 12, it comes to fruition when God calls Abraham Abraham to be the source, the outsourcing of blessing to all the world. And God tells Abram, Abram, I have blessed you so you can be a blessing. That's why God blesses his people. That's why God blesses his church. Praise God. He doesn't bless you so you can be stingy. 
He doesn't bless you so you can hoard all those blessings. You need to be the outsource. Hallelujah. If you want to be blessed, you need to be a blessing. If you want to receive, you need to give. Hallelujah. If you want your cup full, you need to empty it out. Well, praise God. God's looking for just one. If I can just get one person. If I can just get one person to be the outsource of blessing. That's all he needs. Hallelujah. I'm excited about that today. And God tells Abraham, Abraham, anybody that blesses you, I'm going to bless. And anybody that curses you, I'm going to curse. Hallelujah. But it's through you, Abraham, that all nations, all families of the earth are going to be blessed. I'm excited today that God's church is blessed with faithful Abraham. Hallelujah. And when you tithe, God will bless you. Hallelujah. Don't tell me you want to do something for God, but you don't tithe. Praise God. I heard about a preacher. Amen. Someone called, uh, came up for prayer, and they said, Pastor, evangelist, whatever, will you pray for me? And he said, yes, I'm going to pray for you. Or for, he said, I'll pray for you. He said, do you tithe? He said, no. And he said, well, I'm going to pray for you with my eyes open. Why are you going to do that? He said, anybody that would steal from God would steal from me. <clears throat> if you want to be blessed, you need to be a tither. <laughs> Praise God. And if this is your church and that man's your pastor, this is where your tithe belongs. You don't give your tithe to a missionary. You don't give your tithe to an evangelist. You bring it right here to the storehouse. And God said, if you do that, I'll open up the windows of heaven and bless you. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. How many can wave their hand and say, God's blessed me because I'm a tither? Hallelujah. Amen. Tithing. I had someone come up to me one time. As an evangelist, I got in all kinds of trouble. Can you guys imagine that? Because I preached on tithing. And one guy came up to me and said, Brother McDonald, I don't tithe because tithing was done away with, with the law. I said there's two problems with that. Number one, the law hadn't been done away with. The law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There's a difference between something being done away and something be fulfilled. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy it. I came to fulfill it. I said, problem number two is tithing wasn't instituted in the law. Tithing predated the law. Hallelujah. When Abraham met Melchizedek in Genesis 14. Oh, and by the way, when Melchizedek came to Abraham, his hands weren't empty either. He had bread and wine. Can I just say this? Jesus didn't turn the water into juice. Jesus turned it into wine. And at the Last Supper, he didn't serve juice. He served wine. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And when Mel I thought you all believed this here. And when Melchizedek met Abraham, brother, he served him bread and wine. Come on. He didn't give him juicy juice. He didn't give him welches. He served him wine. And that's what Jesus served his disciples. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't know if you guys sing it here, 
but we sing the old song, come and dine. He who fed the multitude turned the water into juice. That don't rhyme. So don't just leave wine right there where it belongs. Praise God. Amen. Amen. And now Abraham's hands, they're not empty. Amen. And he gave a tithe off the top of the spoils of war. Praise God. You know what's interesting? When you read Genesis chapter 1, ten times, and God said, and God said, and God said. So from Adam to Noah, ten generations. From Noah to Abraham, ten generations. In Genesis 14, there is a war going on with nine kings. And there's a tenth king that shows up who is Melchizedek, who serves Abraham bread and wine. And Abraham, who is the tenth from Noah, amen, gives a tenth of the spoils of war to the tenth king in Genesis 14, who is Melchizedek. And God said, Abraham, anybody who blesses you, I'm going to bless. Anybody who curses you, I'm going to curse. And we are here today with the blessings of God because of what Abraham did all the way back in the book of Genesis. And if you're a son or daughter of Abraham, you'll be a tither. Praise God. And and so God uses Abraham. The blessings flow through him. And the blessings come through his line. Now the paradox, (coughs) pardon my voice here this evening, The paradox of the book of Genesis is that there's complication that come to those who are called and ordained to bring God's blessings upon the world. Every one of the patriarch's wives experienced complication and resistance to that first command. God said, you be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it. But every one of the patriarch's wives found themselves in conflict with fulfilling Genesis 1.28. Sarah was barren. Rebecca was barren. And she experienced pre-birth conflict when she did become great with child, when she had twins. And Rachel was barren. And for each woman, it took a divine intervention from God for them to have a child. In other words, when it was all said and done, Abraham and Sarah is not going to get their picture taken in the Pentecostal Herald saying, this is how we did it. This is how you do it, and this is how it needs to be done. No, it's if God didn't help us, we wouldn't have our miracle. If God didn't intervene for us, we wouldn't have the promise. Hallelujah. Amen. And I just want to help you preach. I want to preach to you to help you for a little bit today. That even though God is blessing you, there's still some hell and high water to fight. There's still some things you have to endure. There's still some rough roads that you have to walk down. But I'm telling you today, if you'll just keep putting one foot in front of the other, God will bless. God will intervene. God will see you through. And when it's all said and done, he gets the glory. When it's all said and done, he gets all the praise. So, every one of those women and men had to have God show up for that promise of blessing 
to come to pass. It had to. But God specializes in things that you deem impossible. <laughs> you know what's interesting? There's a question asked in the, in the narrative. Y'all still with me out there? there? There's a question asked in the narrative of, of Abraham and, and Sarah. The question is, is anything too hard for the Lord? That's an interesting phrase. And so I got to chasing that down. And that word, is there anything too hard, is used elsewhere in the Old Testament. It's used in the book of Judges. When there's a man and a wife who also find themselves in a complicated role of not being able to have a child. And an angel shows up and says, hey, God's heard your prayer. You're going to have a son. This is Samson's mom and dad, right? And they make a sacrifice, and the angel steps into the sacrifice. And the Bible says the angel did wondrously. That word wondrously is the same word in Genesis as hard. Is anything too hard for God? Is anything too wondrous for God? Let me take a side note here. After, the, after Samson's parents make the sacrifice and the angel steps into the sacrifice, the, the husband looks to his wife and says, I think God wants to kill us. And his wife said, you know what, ignorant? If God wanted to kill us, he would have killed us. God doesn't want to kill his people. God wants wants to bless his people. If he wanted to kill you, he would have killed you. If he wanted you to go to hell, he would have sent you there with kerosene drawers on. But I'm glad we have a God that's redemptive. I'm glad we have a God that's loving. I'm glad we have a God that's more interested in us being saved than us being lost. Okay, hang on. Just, just Bible class. It's used one other time in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called. What's the first word? Wonderful. That's the same word as hard to Abraham and Sarah. It's the same word given to Samson's parents, wondrously. And it's the same word used here, amen, to a virgin who's going to give birth to a child. So those words, hallelujah, difficulty, wondrously, impossible, are used in conjunction with a woman who it's biologically impossible for them to have a child. But for everyone, God stepped in. For everyone God intervened hallelujah and if God ever did that once he can do it again and so is anything impossible with the Lord no he can allow an old woman who's barren and have a child amen and he can allow a young virgin who's never known a man to have a child there is nothing impossible with God nothing As complicated as it may be, God has to step in and God has to perform his work and then it'll be done. Now, Jacob, Jacob gets a call and a word from God. Go to Canaan. You go back to Bethel where you met God. You pack up your family, get your belongings and head toward Canaan. 
Amen. Everything's going great for Jacob. That's why I love Jacob, because I, I relate to him. Jacob, his life story, extreme highs. Man, there's extreme lows. But the good thing about it is God is with him in the highs. And God is with him in the lows. But man, the wind is to his back. Hallelujah, and everything's seemingly going right for him. He immediately falls in love with Rachel. Read your Bible. The, the Bible said when he saw her, man, she was such a great kisser. When she planted one on him, the Bible says he wept. That's a good kisser. He didn't even ask her. I preached that to the youth group one day at home. I said, that's how you get a woman. Just walk up to her and plant one on her. And I said, if you guys do it, you're done. <laughs> man, she was such a great kisser. She was a good-looking woman. Man, he fell in love with her. Look, the patriarch's wives, they, they, weren't, they weren't from the dog pound. They were beautiful women. Even when Sarah was old, she was beautiful. Rebecca was beautiful. Rachel's beautiful. That's why he fell in love with her. Hallelujah. And he worked seven years for her. And, and then he wakes up with Leah. And, and, and then he's got to work another seven years to, to pay off his debt for her. And it, it just seemed like a, just a small time. You know, when you're in love, man, you can drive five hours with no sleep after you work nine hours a day. But once you're married for 20 years, she can't even get you to go to Walmart to get a gallon of milk at 2 in the morning. <laughs> it just seemed like a small time. Aren't you glad I'm not teaching the marriage seminars in Pentecost? <laughs> well, you, uh, the Sunday school department would probably grow, but I, I'm just saying anyway. And, and, and so he, uh, he's got to endure. He's got to endure the barrenness of, of Rachel and, and Leah. God is blessing her. And, and finally, after enduring the pain of barrenness, Rachel, the one he really loves, gives birth to Joseph. And man, God is blessing the old, the old patriarch. And he's got 12 sons and, and a daughter. And he settled everything with Esau. And God is blessing him. And, and now we're going to the promised land. This is the land that God promised Abraham. You ever wonder why Abraham bought a field in Machpelah and he bought a cave in Hebron that he could use to, to bury uh, Sarah and himself and the other patriarchs? Hallelujah. That's why, that's why the Holy Land belongs to Israel. First of all, the, the book of Leviticus says that God said the land is mine. So if it's his, he can dispose it to anybody he wants to. It also belongs to Israel because Abraham put the down payment on that piece of real estate when he bought Machpelah. And there are churches that will never have revival because the people don't get in covenant with the land. You will never be productive in the kingdom of God living in Bakersfield wondering, I just wish I could live in Alaska. Oh, I watch all their churches online and look at their choir and look at their youth group. That's why God won't bless you. That's why God doesn't anoint you. Well, praise God. I thought I had some Pentecostals to help me preach. You got to get in covenant with the land. 
Hallelujah. When we were in Vandalia, it was an old church. Amen. The church that I pastor now is an old church. Vandalia started in 1917. I won't tell you who it was. Amen. But you know who it was. I had a preacher come and preach for me. Amen. And, and he sat in my living room and he said, Brother McDonald, you're too young to bury yourself in a city like this. This church has had too many splits. This church has had too much against it. This church, amen, it's been looked down by too many. Hallelujah. My church that I had in Vandalia filled every other church. Hallelujah. Uh, in, in, the, in an hour radius. That's why, that's why when the district got mad at me because I wouldn't send in my Sunday school average, I said, I don't want to lie. They said, what do you mean you don't want to lie? I, I got five daughter works that I filled up and everybody else filled up and I really don't know what my average is. Praise God. He said, you need to get out of here. You need to go somewhere else. But I got in covenant with the land. It was just an old cornfield to everybody else, but it was a piece of real estate that God put me and God placed me. And I want you to know eventually it broke and we had revival amen we were teaching bible studies till the day I left right now they're getting ready to build a building amen they run more now than they did when I took the church don't let anybody talk you out of your place of revival Hallelujah. Yes, it's California. Yes, things are high here. Yes, it's politically different than where I'm at. But we need an apostolic church here. We need revivalists here. We need people that say, this is our city. This is our church. It costs our elders too much. It costs our forefathers too much. We're getting in covenant with the land. And so Abraham said, I'm going to show God I'm invested. And I'm going to pay the full price for the land. And now this is where Jacob's going. Can I have just a few more minutes? I Listen, I, I feel so bad for you good people. You've had so much preaching and, and good revival. You, your brains are just like. Everything's going for him. Amen. God's blessing him. It, 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 he's got that, that momentum. He's got the thrust. Hallelujah. He's, he, he's got the favor. It's like nothing can stop him. And when he gets into the Canaan, and he gets into Canaan, he's not in, automatically met with blessing. He's met with death. The first thing that happens when he gets into Canaan, the Bible tells us, his mother's nurse dies. At the end of the chapter when he's in Canaan, his father dies. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. I'm the blessed of God. I'm the favorite of God. I've got everything seemingly going my way. And it just seems like the moment I stepped on the real estate, amen, it was knocking the wig off my head and slapping the dentures out of my mouth. And when I'm expecting favor, and when I'm expecting blessing, hallelujah, and I'm expecting direction, and when I'm expecting increase, there's nothing but death. This isn't supposed to happen, but it gets worse than that. Hallelujah, he's got all these promises. He's rehearsing, hallelujah, all the weight of the promises of Abraham are funneling down on him. All the weight of the promises of Isaac are funneling down on him, hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Where we're at today, all of our promises and what we are, it's all funneling down on Jacob. But now, but now it's not just his mother's nurse. And now it's not his father, but it's his beloved wife that's going to die. Hallelujah. Not only is she going, is it just that she dies, but she's carrying the promise. She's carrying the very thing that is supposed to carry, hallelujah, this line, this seed, this promise, this way of life, hallelujah, amen, and now she's dead, this isn't the way this is supposed to go, hallelujah, God said, I'm the favorite of God, God said, I'm the blessed of God, I'm trying to be fruitful, I'm trying to multiply, amen, but when you receive the blessings of God, there is always going to be the resistance to the blessings of God. And she died in the process of giving birth, and she knew it. And so another paradox in Genesis, Rachel, the one who cries, give me children lest I die. Now the gift of child comes, and it kills her. So without child is death. With child is death. And Jacob's like, this is not supposed to happen. How do you plan for something like this? What I was going to do, what... The, the plan that God, the dream that God gave me included Rachel. And, and, and now we're coming to a place of life. We're coming to a place of blessing. And we're confronted with nothing but death. You ever been there where your plans are violently interrupted? And like Jacob, I, I can only imagine how he feels. Why me? And why here? And why now of all places? Life slaps him so hard he couldn't even reach his destination with his own beloved wife. Rachel dies and he said, I buried her in the way of Ephrath. Ephrath means fruitfulness. Amen. God didn't even let me get her to Machpelah where Abraham and Sarah are. God didn't even let me get to Machpelah where my father and my mother are. But we were in the way to fruitfulness. Church, I know what that's like to be just within reach, just within my hand's grasp. We're finally going to break barriers. Hallelujah. Amen. You brethren know that, Pastor, every church has barriers. There's financial barriers. There's numerical barriers that have to be broke. Sometimes there's holiness barriers that have to be broke. Doctrine barriers that have to be broke. Hallelujah. And I know what it's like to finally work your way. Amen. And you feel like you're getting through. And you feel like you're finally going to make progress. And you're just about there. Record numbers. You're just about there. Record revival. You're just about there. Hallelujah. You can see the vision and the promise of God coming to pass. But in the way to fruitfulness. Hallelujah. Right before you can grab it, it dies. Hallelujah. Things that God gives us will die in the middle of a place that's supposed to be fruitful. And, and you get embarrassed because you think everybody's looking at you. <laughs> because of the devastation. And you want to hunker in your bunker. And you want to hide out 
Because I, I don't know how some of y'all are, but I know how I am. I internalize everything. And I lay up and I, what could I have done to change this? What could I have done to prevent this from happening? I try to be the best pastor that I can be. I try to love everybody. I, I try to be appreciative of everybody. I give my best in the pulpit. I give my, look, when I'm on vacation, my saints have access to me. When I'm on the mission field, they have access to me. I'm not immoral. Uh, I'm, I'm not a liar. I'm not a cheat. I'm just, I'm not perfect. Uh, but I'm trying to do everything that I can to be what God wants me to be, try to lead this church into revival, amen, try to be a blessing to where God wants me to be a blessing hallelujah, and right when it's in your grasp, oh man, and things really start growing, and things start moving, and things start prospering, am I among the English speaking people here today hallelujah, we are in a place of fruitfulness, this is it this is the final barrier, hallelujah once we knock down this wall hallelujah, it's going to be Katie bar the door, because it's going to be revival but when you finally get through it's nothing but devastation it's nothing but destruction it's nothing but despondency but I want you to know even in a time like that God has not abandoned you God has not left you just sometimes things die in a way to fruitfulness and you become disillusioned and paralyzed by fear. I was counting on them being with me the whole way. There's nothing more frustrating than when you pour your all into somebody and you invest into somebody. Pastors invest because we're growing the kingdom. We invest in leaders. We invest in people because we want the church to grow. The pastor's looking down the road we're not like Hezekiah. As long as there's peace in our days, we're okay. I want peace for my children. I want peace for my grandchildren. I want the church that I pastor, hallelujah, to continue until the Lord raptures this church out of here. I'm not just concerned about me, but I'm concerned about the next generation. What's everybody going to think of us now? Has God forsaken us? Has God rejected us? Is the promise still for us? You know, Jacob said, you know, he's a dying man talking about a dying woman. And he said, you know what? Rachel died right next to me, and there was nothing I could do about it. She died next to me in Ephrath, in a place of fruitfulness, the investment, the promise. Oh, God, this, this is what I was banking on. This was what I was hoping for. Can I tell you something, church? God is still in charge of your life in chaos. God is still in charge of your life when there's nothing but disenchantment enchantments and dis disillusionments Jesus Christ is still Lord and it may be like feel like you're being set back sometimes things have to die in order for there to be growth sometimes you have to be stripped of things that you don't need so you can grow and you can flourish and you can be productive Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he taketh away. Get rid of everything out of me that's non-productive. Get me out of the way of anybody amen, that's just going to hold me back from being what God wants me to be. In this place, I'm in this place of fruitfulness, and all it is is death. 
you ever, you ever stop to think? You ever stop to think? I, man, I thank God for Jesus. He's just so intelligent. I absolutely love Jesus Christ. Peter says, when Jesus talks to his disciples about Calvary, Peter said, Lord, we're not going to let that happen. He said, in fact, we'll go to prison with you, but uh, we're going to save you from the cross and let everybody else go to hell. Let me tell you something. If your life depends on Simon Peter defending it, the best he could do with a sword is cut a guy's ear off. You know what Jesus called him? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prevent you from going to Calvary, Lord. He, he called him a devil. Here comes Judas Iscariot, probably from the same tribe as our Lord, with his name Judas, Judas, possibly. He kisses him with a kiss of betrayal, and what does Jesus call him? Friend. He calls the guy who's going to keep him from Calvary a devil, he calls the guy that's going to propel him to Calvary his friend. Anybody or anything that stops you from being crucified is not your friend. That's a devil. But the situation that hits you upside the head and it strips you and it takes everything away from you that you don't need, people that you don't, because you know how we are. We find comfort in numbers. We find comfort in popularity. And the Lord says, mm, if you're going to be the church I want you to be, you can't be so popular. And if you're going to be the preacher I want you to be, you can't be so popular. We need to get rid of anything that propels your flesh to die. That's your friend. And church, it doesn't feel good. But that's what we need to lean into. That's what we need to embrace. Whatever gets me closer to him and makes my carnal nature die. The higher you climb the mountain, the less baggage you need. There are people who aren't going to march with you the whole way. Just keep marching. There's people not always going to sit by you in the same pew. You just be faithful right where you're at. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Man, I'm, I'm leery of people that always have to say, Pastor, I'm behind you. Yeah, I didn't know it was 12 hours away behind me. Well, Pastor, you can trust them. They're as honest as the day is long. Wait till the sun goes down. And people are going to betray you. And people are going to hurt you. And people are going to say stupid things to you. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We got all these men and women listed in Hebrews 11 that can distract us. Amen. They did great things. But if you're not careful, you can find fault with every one of them. Then the writer of Hebrews says you need to get your eyes off of them and get your eyes on the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith. He knows the way that I take. You know, Job said, if I could find him, I'd lay my complaint right before him. He's not in front of me if I can't find him. I take a few steps back and he's not there. On the left hand where he doth work, I can't find him. And on the right hand, I can't find him. But this I do know. He knows the way I take. And though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Even if I'm dying in the middle of fruitfulness, God is still with me. God is still for me.
When you're done cursing the darkness, it'll still be there. So turn on a light. Circumstances out of my control. There's nothing I can do about it. What do you do? Go to the pulpit and preach revival. How do you have I go to the pulpit and preach faith. I go to the pulpit and I preach healing. Look, I prayed for people and they've died. Well, we don't want you praying for us. Look, I'm not the healer. He's the healer. Now, I've, I've talked to God. I, I probably shouldn't do this. But, but sometimes I say, Lord, are you sure you got the right saint when you took that one? Because I think you should have kept them around. There's, there's a couple. See, you're glad to, I'm not your pastor right now, right? There, there's a couple I think he should have took. Why couldn't you leave me this one? They love me. They made me cookies. They appreciated what I preached. But, but he leaves Sister Agitator behind. Sister Agitator's good for me. She's good for my spirit. God knows what he's doing. He's very intelligent. I don't know if I'm helping you or not. I'm trying to do my best here today. Amen. I just go to the pulpit and I keep preaching faith. I pray for some and they get healed. I pray for some and they die. Well, you know what? I pray for some to get the Holy Ghost and they get it. And I pray for some to get the Holy Ghost and they don't. What do you do? I just keep praying. Next. 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 Because I can't baptize them. With, I can't baptize them with the Holy Ghost anyway. And I pray for people to get healed. If God heals them, he gets the glory. If he doesn't heal them, that's up to him. That's what faith is. Faith isn't a feeling. Faith is trusting God in spite of the circumstances. So I know sometimes it doesn't feel good to go to the pulpit and sing, but sing anyway. Sometimes you don't feel like going to the pulpit to preach. Preach anyway. Sometimes you don't feel like going to the prayer room because it feels like the heavens are brass. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep trusting. You just keep pushing. Okay. Forty-eight and seven. I'm almost done. He said, "When I came from Padan, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan." He said, "We had just a little ways to go, and she died, and I had to bury her there." Why are you bringing that up, Jacob? Rachel, if she would have lived longer, she'd have had. More children, and his hopes are smashed and dashed and crushed, and it seems like it's all over. Man, it just seemed like everything was going right. We were doing right. We were hearing from God. We, man, we were like the surfers. We were hanging and banging. It, it was lighting fires and kicking tires. It was just crazy, and all of a sudden, it just seems like the brakes were put on everything, and death. You know, it's not a good feeling when you got to try to find yourself again. But you will. It's not a good feeling, hallelujah, when the, when the computer's being rebooted. Just trust the process. God's helping you. Just keep enduring. Just keep praying. Just keep pushing. And, and so, there's an interesting prayer that Rachel prays. In Genesis 30, 24, the Amplified reads it like this. May the Lord add to me another son. After she gave birth to Joseph, which Joseph means fruitful, okay? She prays a prayer. May the Lord add to me 
another son. But she died in the way to, uh, to Ephrath, the, way, the place of fruitfulness. She died, but here it is. Her tenacious prayer didn't die. Now the reason Jacob brings up the death of his wife upon his own impending death is important. He, the old patriarch, he's in his deathbed. And you know the story. He, he calls in Joseph, who has two sons. <laughs> you know, th this part's really good. I'm going to sign my own Bible when I'm done preaching. This is really good. It is. It's good. It's good because when I, when I was writing the notes and, and I was reading them, because I preach to myself. You guys do that, right? When you get, oh, you don't? I do. I preach to myself. And, and I know God liked it because I kind of felt something when I got to this part. That's how I know. So if you don't like this, you don't like what God likes. But this is good. He says, hey, Joseph, who are these two boys? He said, these are my sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. He said, bring them to me. And he doesn't, this, this is where I wanted to preach. And then I'm going to go, I'm going back to the cornfields of Indiana, and you'll never see me again. Okay? Thank God, right? No, I'm going to miss you. Oh, thank you. Glad you did that. <laughs> I got a fan following here. I ought to get a Facebook page. I, Prophet McDonald Ministries, two people. He doesn't ask Joseph. He says, hey, hey, Joseph, you know, as Reuben and Simeon are mine. He doesn't ask them. See, th this is what a prophet does. This is what a man of God does. This is what somebody with vision and anointing and can and, and perception can do. He said, like Reuben and Simeon are mine, those two boys are mine. <laughs> he said, bring them here. And he pulled them to his knees, which is symbolic of him giving birth to them. Read the book of Hebrews. When you read Hebrews 11, that's the Arlington, you don't mind if I sit down while I pray. I'm tired. I, I know I'm acting like this is part of the illustration. It's not. I'm just tired. <laughs> I am wore out. He's in bed. I'm not laying down because I might not get back up. <laughs> when you read Hebrews 11, that's the Arlington Cemetery of the Old Testament. Their faith interred them there. It's not just actions of faith, but it's their greatest acts of faith, I believe. The greatest feats of faith those men and women accomplished are right there in Hebrews 11. And you know what the greatest accomplishment of faith in Jacob's life was? That he adopted the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. That's good stuff, right? And he pulls them to his knees, which is symbolic of him giving birth to them. And he adopts them. And he says, just like Reuben and Simeon are mine, he said, these are mine. And he said, your mother died by me in the way to Ephrath. Why is he bringing that up? Rachel is your mother. Rachel prayed, may the Lord add to me another son. It's not happening like you think it's going to happen, Jacob, but it's going to happen. See, you thought it was over. You thought it was curtains. You thought there wouldn't be any more extension of line and the genealogy of Rachel was done. But when I adopt these children as mine, they're not just my children. They're Rachel's children. See, 
Don't cry in your root beer and suck your thumb. Amen. When things go wrong. So this is how I thought it was going to happen. God's much more smarter than us. It hasn't thwarted the plan of God. It's just God's work in his way and, he, and his will as he sees fit. And he says, just like Reuben and Simeon are mine, these two are going to get the blessing of a firstborn. They are my children. And God answered the prayer of Rachel. Give me another son through the faith of Jacob by adopting Ephraim and Manasseh. Her line is now extended. As the music comes, that's how you know I'm telling the truth, okay? Every Sabbath, the Jews pray from Genesis 48 and 20. They lay hands on their kids and say, God, make them as Ephraim and Manasseh. Sometimes, and you Bible students know this, sometimes when you read about Ephraim in the Old Testament, context would determine if what I'm saying is true, but many times when the Bible talks about Ephraim, it's talking about all the children of Israel. It's talking about all of Israel. That's Rachel's line. That's Rachel's prayer being answered. See, Jacob, your investment isn't in vain. She died right by you, but God still has a plan. God's will is still going to be done. And the kingdom is going to go on. I got one more scripture. Let's stand. Let's stand. Then you know I'm really done, right? Okay? Can sound, sound man or... Lord, nothing's sacred anymore. Sound woman. Is that... Could you please put Matthew 2.18 on the screen? In Ramah, there was a voice heard, lamentation and weeping. You know, this is the story, uh, Herod, uh, the king, he's intimidated by Christ the king, and he starts killing the babies two years old and under, and, and there's a slaughter going on, So that this, and this is fulfillment of Old Testament. Anyway, in Ramah, there was a loud voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning. You ready for this? Rachel weeping for who? All those babies were Rachel's babies. Those families were Rachel's families. You thought it was over? You thought it was nothing but death? I appreciate That's why I love preaching here because every, everything I preach, the choir sings it before I preach. I love it. So God confirms the choir with the word following. Praise God. I love it. We're coming out of that grave. All those children, God grant me another son. And it was it was Joseph and it was Benjamin. But it, when it seemed like it was over, Jacob, it's not over. <laughs> but he adopted the greatest act of faith that he ever accomplished when he adopted Ephraim and Manasseh. God was answering that woman's prayer. And everything that was invested, everything that was entrusted, all the hopes, the faith the belief in the promises of God. Yes, there was resistance. Yes, there was impediments. Yes, there were blockades. Yes, there were walls. Yes, there were trying times. But God circumvented all of that and his will was done. So the, the best part in Genesis 35, Jacob's met with death. He's met with setbacks. He's met with disappointments. He 
Genesis 35, 21, you know what it says? Then Jacob, he just journeyed on. That's what you do. You just keep journeying on. You get up the next day and you live for God. And you get up the next day and you live for God again. Then you come to church in midweek and you get up the next day and you live for God again. And you just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. We serve the one who is the resurrection and the life. Some things in us have to die, even in a place of fruitfulness. I remember I was going through a horrific time uh, when we were pastoring in Illinois. It was absolutely horrendous. <coughs> and I remember praying, I can take you to the spot, I can see it in my mind right now. I said, Lord, I feel like I'm dying. There's been very few times that I, I would say that I've heard the God speak to me in this way, but this was one of them, okay? When God spoke to me and said, do you remember when you asked to be fruitful and to know me in the power of the resurrection? And then the scripture came to my mind. I believe the Lord quickened it to my mind. Except a quart of wheat die. It abideth alone. There is no fruitfulness, there is no resurrection, there is no life without death. We talk about revival. Before we talk about revival, we got to talk about what died. <clears throat> and there are things in us that have to die before there can be revival. Three times the Old Testament uses the word revive. It's revive me, then it's revive us, and then it's revive our works. Everybody wants to talk about revival, but nobody wants to talk about what died. But things in us have to die in order to be revived. And built in the DNA of that kernel of wheat is resurrection. <laughs> and when, it's when it has died, it has been buried, you don't know what's going on underneath the surface. It looks like it's a cold, dark winter, but you wait till springtime. It's going to escape and fight all the odds and come forth with resurrection and fruitfulness. I'm telling you, Bakersfield, you just hold on. You just hold on. I know you feel like God has forgotten you in some time. We feel like that as individuals. And you feel like, man, I, I was just hoping they would be with us and, and, and they would journey with us. And, and this was what we were hoping. And this is what the church was going to look like. Sometimes people have to go. Sometimes things have to be shaved off of us. Sometimes we have to be stripped like Joseph of our coat. But there is a resurrection power that's working in us. And God is going to bring life out of death. Would you lift your hands and worship the Lord right now? Come on, let's worship the Lord. I want us to feel after the Holy Ghost here just for a moment. Oh, God. I am the resurrection and the life. That's what Jesus said. Oh, God. Is there anybody that'll come to this altar and say, I, I was in a place, I was in a way of fruitfulness. It just seemed like it was there. It's okay, just keep journeying on. Just keep marching on. Oh, God. Oh, God, just keep pressing on. Trust God. Trust the process. 
Just how great 